All right, so uh, what we're going to try and do tonight, and we mentioned, I think, last week that we were going to try and do this. So last week, if you remember, we talked about uh, Kohanim, who are soldiers, who may kill um, in battle, whether or not they are allowed to continue to duchen or not. And uh, we came out that uh, that it's okay. Uh, maybe may even be a mitzvah for them to go ahead and uh, do, not maybe, mitzvah that for them to go ahead and do so. And it's certainly not going to be any sort of impediment towards... Uh, towards being able to dochen. And we said that tonight, what we're going to try and do maybe is see something related to the hostage situation. There's a lot of interesting halachic um, uh, issues to consider when uh, when talking about the uh, the hostages. Uh, and I had heard last week that there is a tshuva from Ravavadi Yosef about the Reda and, and Tebi. I didn't know that they reach, renamed it to Yonatan, something after uh, Yoni uh, Netanyahu. Um, but, uh, so I, I, I found the, uh, the tshuva, I was able to, uh, to track it down. Uh, it turns out it's an amazing thing because by the time they hijacked it, I think the ultimatum was, it seemed like they had 48 hours to, uh, you know, to decide to release the terrorists who were in prison, the four terrorists who were in prison, four, 40 terrorists who were in prison and to give them the $5 million or so. Otherwise they were going to start uh, killing, uh, hostages. And Rav Avadi went ahead and put together Kedarko Bekodesh. He put together like seven or eight pages of Yabia Omer Tshuva. Seven or eight pages means that there's three, four hundred uh, sources which are being cited. And he writes at the end of the Tshuva that as they were discussing, you know, the final things, so the government came in and told them that it was already done, that they already saved everybody. So he had done like the, like for 48 hours, he probably didn't eat, didn't sleep, didn't daven, didn't do anything. He was just working on these halachic issues. And then, you know, at the, at the end, it turns out that all of the discussion was sort of theoretical because the army went ahead and did what it was going to, was going to do. So there's many different aspects of it. Um, we're going to deal uh, primarily tonight with one of them one of those uh, those aspects. And then we'll see, maybe next week we'll deal with the uh, the Shabbos element of it. One of the things which was relevant over there was that I think the they they flew the soldiers out on Shabbos. I think the raid may have been mostly Shabbos or Sunday, but they flew them out on Shabbos and whether or not that was an appropriate uh, thing to do. But we're going to hold off on that for now. And we're just going to go ahead and see whether or not um, the question of uh, if the if terrorists say that we have hostages, either you free um, the political prisoners, you free, free terrorists who are in your prisons, or we're going to start shooting the uh, the hostages, we're going to start killing hostages. So halakhically, what is the correct approach when given that choice? That's what we're going to uh, explore tonight. And i just got to pull up the sheet. Okay. So hopefully now that shows up on your screen. Now it is. Okay. Okay. So most of this we're gonna we're just gonna uh, grab excerpts from Ravavadi's Chuva because um, uh, he's very thorough. Uh, he writes. I find his writing to be uh, to be very clear, and we're just going to uh, to jump right in. So he says. So he said that Ravavadi writes that the whole discussion about whether or not you could exchange terrorist prisoners for hostages in order to save hostages. So he says it begins with a Tosefta. It begins with the, the Tosefta in Trumas, believe it or not, where it says as follows. The Tosefta Trumas, where'd it go? The uh, Tosefta Trumas, it says, 
So you have a bunch of travelers, you have a caravan who gets ambushed by non-Jews, and the non-Jewish uh, ambush, we'll call them just terrorists for simplicity, the terrorists say to the group of Jews, Give us one of your members of the caravan, and we're going to kill him. But if you refuse to hand over one of your members, we're going to go ahead and kill the entire group. So that's the offer. Either you choose somebody that we're going to kill, or we're just going to go ahead and indiscriminately kill everybody. So what's the halacha? Amazingly, so the halacha is, this is a classic uh, application of Yerag Val Yavor. So the entire group has to uh, uh, allow themselves to be killed. And because we are not allowed to hand over somebody to be killed, to be executed. That's not our decision to make. We don't have the right to go ahead and sacrifice somebody to save the rest of the group. And it's interesting over here that the Tosefta doesn't even define how large the group is, whether the caravan is 5 or 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 or 1,000. It seems to not make a difference, regardless of what the numbers are, as there's a lot of talk about proportionality and whatever, a lot of misunderstanding of proportionality and what that means. But over here, the Tosefta doesn't address proportionality at all. If they say, give us one, and the rest of you will be saved, we're not allowed to give anybody over. But, but let's say the terrorists say, we want Yankel Shmero. So it's not they say, you choose somebody. They say, we already know who we want. You give us that person that we want. Kagon Sheva Ben Bichri, like there's a story in Shmuel Base about Sheva Ben Bichri. So then, if they've already decided who they want, they're not just asking us to choose, but they know who they want, then yimseru lahem al yargu. Then the halacha shifts, and then halacha says you're allowed to hand over that person rather than everybody else get killed. So if we have to choose who the, the victim is going to be, we're not allowed to do that. If they have chosen who that victim is, then we could go ahead and we could hand them over. And the Tosefta goes ahead and quotes a, uh, uh, the, the Psukim and Shmuel base related to that with the story of Shefa ben Bechri. Then he says, Yushalmi, Yushalmi on the, the uh, on Trumos, Amar Eishlakish, so it's important, Machlokis Reishlakish and Abyochan about this case. Amar Eishlakish Reishlakish says, V'hu she'chayv misak Shefa ben Bechri. He says, if you know a little bit about the story of Sheva ben Bichri, he was uh, somebody who rebelled against David Amela. So as a Morid b'Malchus, he deserved to be killed anyways. So therefore, Reish Lakish says, when, if the terrorists say, we want Yankel Shmerel, or we're going to kill everybody, when are you allowed to give over Yankel Shmerel? Only in the event that Yankel Shmerel already is Chayiv Misa. He's already done something to make himself deserving of death. So then we could go ahead and just hand them over to terrorists because if they didn't kill him, we would kill him ourselves. So therefore, we're not. It's not. Uh, it's uh, it's just a matter of who's going to do the uh, the deed of executing him. But either way, he deserves to be executed. But in the event that they say we want Yankel Shmerel because he is a general who knows how to organize the army and knows how to create ambushes and knows how to uh, to fight. That's why they want him. But the general hasn't done anything wrong. According to Reish Lakish, we would not be permitted to go ahead and hand him over. It's only when, when we, when the, when we use the example of Sheva ben Bichri, it's specific because he deserved death. 
Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, and Rabbi Yochanan disagrees and says, no, it's irrelevant whether or not the person they ask for is already Chayev Misa or not, as long as they have identified who they want. So then, and that person is going to be killed anyways, either either he's going to be killed by himself or he's going to be killed together with the group. So once they've gone ahead and they made the decision who they want, then we can hand them over. But if we have to make the decision, we cannot do so. And the Rambam, interestingly enough, and there's the, the uh, Rav Vajra spends a lot of time uh, regard, uh, about this, about the way the Rambam paskined in this machlokas between Rav Yochner and Shlakish. But the Rambam writes, Kasov, Dim yichdu lahem. Let's say the terrorists uh, uh, identify who they want us to hand over. Vamru, and they say, Tnu lanu ploni. Either you give us ploni, Yankel Shmero, and if you don't give us Yankel Shmerel, we're going to go ahead and execute everybody. We're going to kill the entire group, the entire caravan. So the Rambam Paskins like Reish Lakish, that in the event that the person they ask for anyways was Chayiv Misa, for whatever his offense was, whatever his crime was, but if he was Chayiv Misa anyways, so then we could hand him over. But if not, if they want somebody because he is the general or because he's a powerful leader in the army and they just don't want him to uh, to uh, to be leading the army anymore, so then the Rambam would say, we're not allowed to hand him over. However, we're not allowed to go ahead and give this instruction. If somebody asks, uh, calls you with a shayla, so you're supposed to say, I don't know the answer, uh, call a base hora hotline or something like that because I don't know how to uh, to respond. But the Rambam confirms in the event that they per- the person they ask for is not Chayiv Misa anyways, then the Allah is So we have this principle there, that when it comes to murder, even if we're not going to be the ones committing the murder, they just want us to choose who will be killed so we don't make that choice. That's not our choice to make. And if that means that the entire caravan as we said before, regardless of whether it's 5, 10, 25, 50, 100, or 1,000 people. So nonetheless, we don't do make a mathematical cheshman and say that 1,000 people are more valuable than that one. And sheval tase. And Allah is going to say, sit and do nothing. And whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants, whatever the outcome is going to be. So that is what's, uh, that's what's going to be. And it's interesting, this, this halacha does not make its way into... Um, the Mechaber himself and Shochar Arach himself, but it does make its way into the Ramah. In the Ramah, in this in Yoradea Simen Kufnun Zayin, so he follows the opinion of the Ramam here as well. Oh, actually, I'll say, I won't even, I don't want to spoil it. He says, If you have a bunch of terrorists who say to the Jewish state, like they did in Entebbe, or they may, I'm not sure if they've actually tried to negotiate that yet now, but in Entebbe they said, we want the terrorists to be freed from prison. Otherwise, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start killing people. And actually, that's not what happened in Entebbe. So you have a uh, some terrorists grab some, uh, some uh, uh, they surround a bunch of Jews, and they say, give us somebody to kill. Uh, um, so, so we are not allowed to go ahead and hand somebody over to make that person the sacrificial lamb, as it were, to go ahead and hand somebody over for the terrorists to kill. Unless the terrorists have pinpointed, they've identified 
who they want us to send. And they say, If they say, we want Yankel Shmerel, so once they've already identified, the first opinion, Shulchan Aruch says, once they've identified the person, so then you can hand them over. Then the Ramah says, Then he quotes the second opinion, which says, even in the event that they've identified who they want us to hand over, we're not allowed to hand that person over. Unless that person is Chayv Misa like Sheva Ben Bichri. So here what you have is that the initial opinion quoted by the Ramah is Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan who says that regardless of whether the person they've asked for is Chayv Misa or not, either way, you could go ahead and you can hand him over. And then he says, Vyesh Omrim, he says, some people say that you can only hand him over if he's Chayv Misa. That's going to be like Reish Lakish. So the Rambam Paschal like Reish Lakish, and the Ramah went ahead and presented Rabbi Yochanan's opinion first, and then he says, Vyesh Omrim incites Reish Lakish's opinion. And Rav Avadia points out, an important uh, principle to know as far as Shulchan Aruch is concerned, and this is something which is very much, the Sephardim do this more so than, uh, than, uh, than Ashkenazim, but he says, the Maran this source three over here, he said, the, the Abi Omer is in Chelet Yud, so he says that we paskin that as far as the style of Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah is, Stam Vyesh Omrim, that in the event that either one of them, either Shulchan Aruch or the Ramah, initially prints, presents a halacha, this is the halacha, and then follows it up by saying, and there are those who say, so the second opinion is presented as Yeshom. We're not talking about Yeshomrim this, Yeshomrim that. But this is the halacha, and some people say differently. So the rule is halacha kistam. The halacha is going to follow the stam opinion, the way the halacha was presented initially. In other words, that the Ramah is paskening like the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. That it doesn't make a difference whether the person that the terrorists ask for is chai of Misa or not, as long as they have, they have identified who they want, and if, they, if, they, if we deliver that person to them, everybody else will be saved, then we could deliver him. But if they want us to choose who that victim is going to be, so that we don't have any right to do whatsoever. Now, there's a lot of lumdis which is related to, uh, to that, to be able to explore the exact machlokas of Yochan and Reish Lakish and the application of Yerag Val Yavor and when you are allowed to send somebody over when you're not allowed to send somebody over. There's a lot related to that. Three um, um, paragraphs worth, let's call it, of analysis by Revavadja. But now the question is over here. So the way that, uh, that Revavadja applies these sources to the circumstance in Entebbe is as follows. So we have a bunch of um, hostages Hostages who were uh, who were there in uh, uh, in Uganda uh, in the airport there in, in in Uganda, and the offer was either you give us back our terrorists, the terrorists which you have in Israeli jails, you have to free them. Now the fear is obviously that if we free those terrorists, that they will co- come along, as we've seen time and time again over history, that you let them out of jail, and it's not as if they are reformed, they go back to killing. They go back trying to terrorize and to kill Jews uh, kill Jews again. I think, uh, you know, they're, they're reporting that many of the people involved in this most recent attack on Simchas Torah are people who had been let out of prison with the Gilad Shalit, uh, you know, prisoner swap or, or something like that. But the fear is, is that they have a bunch of hostages. If we release these hostages now, 
that may lead to future loss of Jewish life. And if it's going to lead to future loss of Jewish life, uh, because there'll be more terrorists who are out there looking to, uh, to kill Jews. So who says that we could go ahead and we can uh, do something, we can negotiate the release of these prisoners uh, in order to save the hostages which are, which are there now? That becomes the, uh, that becomes the, uh, the issue, that becomes the question. And here, Ravavadya now says, now he begins his real analysis. After exploring the different opinions that we, we said from the Tosefta and from the Yushalmi and the Machlokis and the Rambam in the, in the Ramah, so now says Ravavadya. So this is now Os Dawid. He goes up to 23 sections in this tshuva, so we're only on section 4. Don't worry, we're not going to do all 23. But he says, Umeata benidon didon. So now he says, let's go ahead and let's apply some principles to the situation on the ground in Uganda. He says, seemingly, as a result, if we were to go ahead and release the terrorists who are currently in Israeli prisons, to go ahead and hand them over to other terrorists, so that is going to put many citizens of Israel at risk because there's now more terrorists who are out and about looking to terrorize and kill Jews. And seemingly, and maybe we should say that to go ahead and uh, actively release terrorists who are going to try and kill more Jews who says that we have the right to go ahead and do so? Because that's putting lives at risk, which currently are not at risk. We're re- we're we're negotiating. We're releasing the hostages to get the to get. Uh, uh, sorry, we're releasing terrorists to get back the hostages, which will ultimately the fear is it will result in more Jewish life being lost because the terrorists will seek to kill. In Afopi, even though Sheesh Bamida Gisa, you can argue the other side of the equation, Hatsalas Meyudimachatufim, that there are a hundred hostages which we will save now. So maybe saving a hundred hostages now is worth the potential expense of the number of people that these terrorists that they want release will kill in the future. Ukedin atosaftavayushalmi, and but Nonetheless, we would follow the Yushami, which says, So maybe to go ahead and to actively release terrorists who will kill people, maybe that violates the principle of the Tosefta in Yushami, which says that we don't do something which is going to be the cause of the loss of Jewish life. Whether that is handing somebody to terrorists for them to kill, or whether Rev. Vadya is suggesting releasing terrorists who we know are going to turn around as soon as they can and try and kill more Jews. So maybe we can't do something which would result in the loss of life, of, of Jews. However, says Rev. Vadya, there's a distinction between the Entebbe case and the case of the Ushalmi and the Tosefta. Because over there, what are, what are the terrorists asking for? They're saying, give us this person to kill. So we know that if we hand over this person to the terrorists, they're going to kill him. So that handing over, that incident, what we would do in that case is a, an action of cruelty. 
because we are cruelly handing somebody to terrorists who will who will be killed, will be tortured and killed. And what that effectively means is, is that everybody else in the group is saving their lives by sacrificing this person's blood. So I'm going to save myself, I'm going to save this group by handing somebody else over to be killed. You get killed so that I can save myself. So to go ahead and say, you get killed so I can save myself, that we're not going to do. One second, Alan. Oh, hit the wrong button. Lachain, uh, therefore we would say that Yahargu Kulam Bagim Sulam Nefesh Misrael. And therefore, in that case, since what they're asking us to do is the cruel act of handing somebody over who will be killed, so that we apply the principle and say, rather than handing somebody over and being cruel, everybody has to uh, everybody has to uh, take that risk. Yes, Ellen. Okay, but then we are killing Jews by doing it by by not turning them over. We're also killing Jews. Well, we're not we're not actively doing anything. That's going to be we we haven't done anything. It's going to happen. Well, by, by by not doing something, we've 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 killed these Jews. Well, well, the hostages. So, so we're, we're differentiating between something which is active and something which is passive. If we do nothing, then Jews will be killed. But we didn't actively contribute towards that. It's a result of our passivity. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So right. It, 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 the the net result is there's dead Jews. But halacha seems to differentiate between whether or not we are actively contributing towards that, or just by being passive, that's going to be the uh, that's going to be the result. Avakan. So that's what the Tosefta, and that's what Yerushalmi are referring to. Avakan, but over here, when we're talking about freeing, we're not the the terrorists in Uganda in Entebbe are not asking us to hand over somebody to be killed, what we're doing is they want us to release terrorists who are in the Israeli prison. So So freeing the terrorists from the Israeli prisons does not directly result in Jews being killed. It may happen later on, but the act which we're doing of releasing the terrorists, that does not automatically lead to a loss of Jewish life. Uh, the intent of releasing the terrorists would be, the primary intent is, if we release these few terrorists who are in the Israeli prisons, we will thereby save 100 lives. So maybe save, in this moment, I will say, we will save 100 lives if we release these four terrorists. So in the moment, these four terrorists aren't killing anybody. It's not as if we're handing them guns on their way out. It'll take them a day or a week or a month or so before we go ahead and, uh, you know, they have to be on parole. So it'll take a while before they could go ahead and they could get their hands on, on a gun, but it's not going to be immediately. So maybe in this case of Entebbe, we should focus on what's happening in this moment. In this moment, we're saving 100 Jews and nobody's going to be killed in this moment. No Jews will be killed at this moment. Maybe that should be our priority. Tmuras we will save a hundred lives if we merely free from prison these uh, these terrorists. We the only concern is is that it's likely, although not definitively, but it's likely that these guys will join up their terrorist buddies and end up trying to kill Jews in the future. But it's not happening right now. So right now, all we're doing is we're freeing a hundred uh, hostages from uh, and we're saving them from being killed. 
And the only thing with the only negative outcome that we see is a suffix sakana. There's a chance that these terrorists will kill in the future. Maybe yes, maybe no. Who knows? But we don't know that for sure. But what we do know is, is that if we release the prisoners, then 100 Jews will be set free. 100 hostages will be set free. So in such a case, maybe we should apply the principle that an uncertainty does not overwhelm certainty. Meaning if right now we're certain that we could save 100 hostages, and there's a suffix, there's a chance that maybe some of these terrorists will kill, okay, maybe yes, maybe no, that's in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hands. But right now we need to save these 100 hostages, and maybe saving the 100 hostages is going to be a higher priority. Because the hostages which are there, they said 48 hours and we're starting to kill Jews. So we know for sure that they are in danger if we do nothing. They said they're going to start killing hostages if we don't release the prisoners. So maybe we should go ahead and do so. And therefore, maybe Halacha would instruct us to do everything we can to save the hostage, the hundred hostages right now and ignore, don't pay any attention to what may result from that at some point in the future, because maybe yes, maybe no. And then we won't read it inside, but Ravadia equates this with the famous Chazonish about what happens when a missile is headed towards um a group of people, and you have the ability to shoot at the missile and redirect it so it lands somewhere else. And the Chazunish says that it's permitted to do so, even though when it lands somewhere else, it'll kill some other people, because ultimately what you're doing, when you shoot at the missile that's coming towards you right now, what you're doing is you're doing an act of saving the group that's in immediate danger. The fact that it may end up landing on some other people Okay, what, what are we going to do? Collateral damage is part of war, whatever you're going to say. But it's not considered to be an act of cruelty to shoot the, at that missile in redirected. It's seen as a Maisa Hatzala. What we're doing is we're saving the people who are in the direct line of fire of this missile right now. And the, and the Chazunish understands that that's an important uh, distinction. And Rav Avadis says the same thing is going to be true now. That what we're doing is we're redirecting the danger somewhere else. But right now, what we're doing is we're saving 100 hostages. So as long as we could say to ourselves, right now we're saving 100 hostages, so maybe we should go ahead and we should take that, we should take that, that approach. And so, disregard the potential danger which may arise later on. I, 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 don't, see, I don't see a real connect. I, I, I don't think the two cases are the same of shooting down the missile or freeing hostages, or freeing terrorists. Because, uh, I mean... There, there's there's a halacha that you shouldn't pay too much to free a captive if they demand too large of a ransom because because it'll encourage more kidnapping later on. And so, you know, shooting down a missile doesn't encourage any such thing, but, but freeing all of these terrorists encourages them to, to take more hostages later. Right, so that, that, that's a different... Um, consideration. It's a different halacha consideration about that Gemara and Gitten, about not overpaying for uh, for hostages, when yes and when no. So we're not focusing on that right now. Rav Avadya divides up his tshuva uh, into different parts with different halacha considerations. He gets to that eventually, but that's not what we're focusing on, on, on right now.
uh, Rabbi Schaffel, what, yes, it, I, I think I think I agree that this the two cases are different because um, in the case of a missile being uh, shot at you, if you shoot it down and you redirect it, you there there is a there's a doubt. It's true that it may kill someone else, but it's different in from this case where if you try to save yourself, you know somebody's going to be killed. In the case of that, the, you know, where a, a certain number of uh, terrorists are are demanded in return, because if you take the terrorists at their word, then they're going to shoot these people. So it's different because the consequence is in doubt when you when you shoot down a missile. So, so Vajra would say over here that we, we don't know for sure that the terrorists which we release from prison now will end up killing people. Um, we don't know. Right? It's, it's not like the case of the Tosefta and the Ushami where they said, give us Yankel Shmerel or we're going to kill all of you. So it's either death of one or death of many. But there's for sure going to be death. That's talking about where there's for sure going to be death. The case of, the, 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 of Entebbe in the case of the missile, both of you are assuming that the, the Chazanish assumes, even if you know for sure the missile, once it's redirected, is going to kill somebody. But even if you're willing to, if you're willing to take it as a suffix, so that makes the case even more parallel to the case of Entebbe, because these released terrorists, we don't know for sure they're going to uh, to kill somebody. They could get killed themselves on the way to uh, you know whatever it is. Okay, and then he says that. Um, right, and then he goes ahead in the, later on. You see, this is in source five over here, Ost Tezvav. So the uh, Revavadi goes ahead and emphasizes further that there's a big difference between uh, when there's a uh, the suffix is there in front of you right now, or a suffix which is going to happen later on. So he says that. Uh, uh, Nero, we'll, we'll just jump to two parts of this. Nero Shemem Asaleinu Lachush Yosef Yosef Lesachkana Hamiyadit Shomea Meata Yehudim Hachatufim. He says in Halacha we definitely have to give greater weight and greater attention to the potential danger, not even the potential danger, the immediate danger which the hundred hostages are in now because we were given a time frame of forty eight hours to make a decision, so they're in immediate danger now. When the sword is resting right over their heads, the uh, the, the fuse has been lit and there's a, the timer is already going. Where they've already given the exact deadline when they're going to start uh, killing people. And these Rishayim, they may exaggerate, but they're likely to follow through on some of these threats. But, so right now, we have 100 Jews, 100 hostages who are in immediate danger now. We know what's going to be by 2 in the afternoon in the event that we don't get the, uh, they don't get the response that they want. But on the other hand, but the potential danger which will arise by freeing these 40 prisoners, these 40 terrorists who are already in Israeli prison, 
it's not a potential danger which exists in this moment. It's a potential future danger. It's not a present danger. So here Ravavadya is drawing a distinction between the consideration of the immediate danger of the hundred hostages that they're in now versus the potential danger which will take place after they're freed at some point in the future. And how do we know that there is such a difference? So he says he brings an interesting proof. It's a very famous idea from the Node of Yehuda, but he brings a very interesting proof from the Node of Yehuda. What is that? It's a long phrase. He says that although we know that performing an autopsy is, is asr and halacha, it's not considered to be covered on mace to go ahead and to perform an autopsy, but in the event that you had two patients in the hospital who have the same medical condition, one and, they, and the doctors couldn't figure out how to treat it because they didn't know exactly what the nature of the illness was. One of the patients died already, and the doctors say, if we do an autopsy, we could figure out what happened, why the person died, and we could come up with a cure to save the second person. So that, the Nodabuta says, it's certainly going to be permitted even though an autopsy is also, but to do an autopsy when there's another person with that medical condition that we could save, that certainly is going to be okay. Because, because maybe we'll gather information from the person who already died and know how to cure the person who's still alive. So that is, so therefore, performing the autopsy, so there's a person whose life is at risk now, one person who had this condition already died, so we know that the patient who's still alive is at risk. And although there's a prohibition to defile the body of the deceased, we override that when there's a consideration that maybe this autopsy will save the person's life. But let's say we don't have a second person who suffers from this medical condition right now. We just have this person who died of a medical condition which we couldn't figure out, and now he's dead. We don't have anybody else suffering from that condition now. But if we perform the autopsy on the one person who had the condition who died, we'll learn more about the nature of that disease. And hopefully we'll gather information which will allow us to be able to save somebody else in the future if somebody contracts the same condition. So right now nobody else has the same that same condition. We just want to do the autopsy now in the hopes that maybe we'll be able to figure out what killed the person who died. So that maybe we'll be able to come up with a treatment plan in the event that in the future somebody else gets that medical condition. And under such conditions, says the note of Yehudah, we don't violate the Isser of performing an autopsy, of disgracing the body because of the possibility that maybe we'll be able to gather some information which may be usable to save somebody else's life in the future. Now he said, now it, sound, it may sound a little bit cruel, to say that, listen, go ahead and do the autopsy, and you'll have the medical information, having that medical information, at some point is probably going to be valuable to save somebody else's life, so why not go ahead and just violate the ISR now to gather that information with the hopes that at some point in the future it will save a life? So uh, so the note of Yudah says we absolutely did not do that. Why? Shimlo Kane, because if you don't say this, that the only heter to violate an ISR is to save somebody else's life now, 
not with the hopes that maybe in the future you'll save somebody else's life. So because if you say that doing this autopsy now with the hopes that at some point in the future we'll have knowledge which will save somebody else's life, and therefore right now it's considered to be Suffolk Pikuach Nefesh. So if you take it to that degree, points out the note of Yuda, then all of a sudden it gets absurd. So then you should be allowed to do any malacha related to medicine on Shabbos. For example, that I could go ahead and I could manufacture and I could cook medicines right now on Shabbos, because who knows, maybe my next door neighbor will get sick and he'll need this medication. So I might as well make him a cholent now because maybe he'll need it. Uh, he'll need it. Maybe yes, maybe no. And maybe I could go ahead and manufacture a knife on Shabbos because maybe I'll need a scalpel at some point to go ahead and do an operation on the guy. How do you know? Maybe I should be uh, like a, a Boy Scout and I should be prepared and I should manufacture plenty of scalpels on Shabbos in case I need all sorts of scalpels on Shabbos. Why not? Maybe something pikuach nefesh. Maybe you'll need it. Shema yizdamin hayom ezecholam esukin shetarach lezeh. Maybe there'll be somebody dangerously ill who needs that. Or maybe I should go ahead if I discover that my phone isn't fully charged. Maybe I should just charge my phone because maybe I'll need my phone in order to call nine one one. And if my phone isn't on right away, it'll delay as my phone, uh, you know, charges up and turns on. And those uh, those few seconds, maybe a person will have a stroke, and those few seconds will make a huge difference whether the phone is on already. It's not on already, so I might as well just monitor everything. I might as well just uh, permit everything because maybe at some point it'll be something pikuach nefesh. And therefore, the note of Yudah says, we don't violate Isurim now on the chance that maybe it'll be usable in the future. We only violate Isurim now if there's somebody who's in danger now. But we don't do so because maybe there will be somebody who will need it. And therefore, because if you start doing autopsies, because maybe the information will be helpful, so then you've just mounted every autopsy in the world. Because who knows what condition the person is suffering from. And I need to have this, uh, you know, this information. I need to have lots of data. So the more autopsies I do, the more data I have. And the more data I have, maybe the more lives I'll be able to save in the future. So I might as well just give everybody an autopsy. And that way I'll have much more information. And we might as well just matter everything. So the note of beauty says that's absurd. You can't take it to such a degree. And that's why the note of beauty's distinction over here is we differentiate whether there's a suffix pikuach nefesh lefanecha, suffix pikuach nefesh, which is in front of you right now, versus one which is going to be in the future. So therefore, Avavadya says we have a similar type of thing which is going on over here. We have a hundred hostages who are in the airport in Entebbe, Uganda, right now, whose lives are in danger, versus the chance that maybe the 40 terrorists which we released from prison, maybe they will try and kill people in the future. So if it's a matter of what's going on right now versus what may happen at some point in the future, Ravavadya says it's Pashat, like the Noda Biuda, that we, we prioritize what's happening now and we disregard what may happen in the future. Forget about what may happen in the future. Right now, you have people whose lives are at risk. 48 hours is the, the time that they gave us. And we, what choice do we have other than to go ahead and take the necessary steps to go ahead and save them right now? Okay. Now he says, um, um,
Uh, I mean, so by that logic, it doesn't matter what they're demanding, whether it's to free 40 terrorists or 4,000 terrorists or 40,000 terrorists, wouldn't seem to matter by that logic. Correct. Right. Right. The number of the terrorists, right. The, 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 the priority is going to be to save the people who are in imminent danger now and what's going to be in the future. So what, uh, what, what are we supposed to do? Um, Somehow that... Yeah, I, I, it does seem like the whole business about not paying too much for going back to Art's original point. Well, that that's why I made the point that I just yeah, made. Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, that, that's in the future, too, that you're worried about that they're going to kidnap more people. So it seems like we do worry about what's going to be in the future. And it, it, at a certain point, it becomes too high a price to pay. Trying to find that part of the whole. Okay, I'll, I'll read you a paragraph. Um, this, the first paragraph, I'll, I'll tell you when I switch. But um, the first paragraph is from an article written by Rav Herschel Schechter, uh, 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 where he's quoting Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. So here it's talking about a different case, not the Raiden and Tebi case. There, if you remember back in 1970, so there was a plane which was hijacked and that landed in Jordan. And Rav Hutner happened to be on that plane. He was one of the people who are on the, uh, the that plane, and there was a lot of diplomacy in order to go ahead and get all of the the uh, the uh, the hostages uh, from that particular incident to uh, to make sure that they would be uh, that they would be safe. And he says that um, right. Uh, okay, so he writes. Although generally, in a case of pidyon shvuyim, the rescue of captives or hostages. The Jewish community is forbidden to ransom a captive for an exorbitant sum. So this is a part the point that you brought up, uh, Art, and you were echoing, uh, Bob. The ruling in the case of a great scholar is that he should be ransomed even for a sum that exceeds his worth. That's why there was a whole issue with the Marami Rutenberg, if you know that, that history, that he was taken captive, and they wanted to pay an enormous amount of money, and he refused. And Nisana Tokev, if you get bored during uh, Davani on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and you read that uh, the art school, uh, you know, quick history of uh, Nisana Tokev, so that's about the Marami Rutenberg. And he didn't let them redeem him for a lot of money. He died in captivity. But there is such a lacha. Thus, many rabbis were of the opinion that every effort should be made to secure Rav Hutner's release. Now, into this is the interesting part. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky dissented. Not that he didn't want Rav Hutner to be saved, but he dissented that they should pay this exorbitant amount, which may include the release of many, many uh, um, terrorists who are in pr- prison, arguing that this is an interesting r- rationale, arguing that the mitzvah of Pidyon Shvuyim only applies in peacetime, but surely not during hostilities, when the delivery of ransom money to the enemy would strengthen their position. So to give your enemy a million dollars, even to save a Tamar Chacham, where they're going to transfer that million dollars to buy weapons to then 
kill more people immediately, not immediately, immediately, but immediately we know what their plan is doing because we're in the middle of a war with them, that we can't do. Even, even for a Tamil Chacham, we can't do. And he continued to explain though that although also an interesting perspective, although a ceasefire existed at the time, the 1948 War of Independence had never really ended, for the Arabs avowed goal to destroy the state of Israel and drive the Jews into the sea had never been renounced. In his view, although Israel was not then engaged in active battle in 1970, in the eyes of Allah, it was considered to be experiencing a mere lull in the ongoing original 1948 War of Independence. And therefore, if Yaakov was of the opinion that when you're in active battle, so then we don't ransom anybody, no matter who, who the person is. They could be the Gadol Ador, could be Moshe Rabbeinu. We wouldn't do so because whatever money you give them now is something which is immediately going to be translated into weapons which are going to kill us. So the uh, the idea of not ransoming for, for a high sum, that, Rav Yaakov says, that's talking about where all they want is money. It's, let's say it's a bunch of... Uh, uh, a bunch of mobsters. So the mafia, they may go ahead and kidnap somebody because they want a lot of money. But for whatever reason, they want the, they want money. So they need a lot of money. So then we have Allah that we don't ransom a person for more than his value. A Tamar Chacham, we, would, we, we may ransom for more than his value, however we calculate that. Rabbi Yaakov says it has nothing to do when your enemy takes your people in the middle of a war where any money that you give them is going to be more weapons which they're going to use against you. Under those conditions, Rabbi Yaakov says, no way, no how. We don't, we're not ransoming anybody. I, I, I want Rav Hutner to come back. But we're not going to go ahead and do so if that means that they're going to have more weapons with which they could, uh, they could kill us. And then he says, this article which I'm reading, similarly, Rav Yisrael Rosen, editor of the proclaimed series Tuchumin, a halachic journal, 30 plus volumes of, uh, you know, uh, of uh, high-level uh, halachic analysis, modern halachic analysis, wrote an article questioning the heavy price which Israel paid for the release of Gilad Shalit, an Israeli soldier taken captive in 2006. After quoting the many articles throughout Israel's history of kidnappings, he concluded that one cannot use the Gemara in Gittin, that's what you were talking about, Art, about not overpaying, says you can't... What? You're right, that's correct. That you cannot use the Gemara in Gittin as a reference in cases where the ransom is not money, but rather freeing live terrorists. So he again says, the Gemara in Gittin, which is talking about how much you're going to pay, $1,000, $10,000, $100,000, a million dollars, $5 million, that's, if they want money, that's what the Gemara is talking about. But if they want terrorists to be freed, that there's no application of the Gemara there whatsoever. In these cases, he argues that, and now they're translating what he writes, he says, Halacha remains neutral and leaves room for tactical decisions to be made by the government. So this would be a very uh, a very sensitive matter which would have to be considered whether or not the freeing of this one hostage or these numerous hostages from a government perspective, is this worth the expense? Is, the, is it worth the risk of these terrorists being freed in order to save these people or not? And he's of the opinion that halacha does not really weigh in on such a case. Halacha will allow the 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 government uh, that's uh, that's in power at that time to go ahead and make that this that that, that decision, and it may very well be that the government decision would be consistent with what you Art and you Bob are saying that when it comes to uh, a, a life uh, a hostage for a bunch of terrorists who are going to turn around and terrorize and kill more Jews in the future, so that may be something that the government is going to say no, 
that it's not that this will just encourage more kidnapping because they know how valuable lives are, are for us. If for one Gilad Shalit, they were willing to free a thousand terrorists, imagine how many are going to be freed if we have 200 hostages, how much we could go ahead and we can negotiate from a position of leverage for that. And this becomes something which is beyond the pay grade of all of us who are, who are here, uh, I assume, no offense, but it's beyond the pay grade of all of us who are here to go ahead and make that cheshvan, make that decision, what is going to be the uh, the proper approach and uh, how to weigh out all of the uh, the different factors over there. Okay, so these, we'll, we'll, we'll hold it over here with uh, with this, that we have these, uh, these uh, interesting issues about immediate danger to the people who are in front of us versus the potential danger of a bunch of terrorists now being out of prison and free to go ahead and terrorize. And then the point which Art and Bob brought up in terms of if we're not talking about where they're trying to get money out of us, they're not trying to, it's not a shakedown for lots of money. Uh, but what they're trying to, they're not just stomp kidnappers, but they're really trying to do so because they have an agenda to get terrorists freed from prison, which will put more lives at risk. Then it may very well be that we wouldn't negotiate anything at all. Or like Rabbi Yaakov said, that when we're talking about in the midst of war, so also those Gemaras don't apply because in the midst of war, it's a different set of uh, a different set of considerations. And, uh, and uh, yeah. And therefore, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't ter- we wouldn't release anybody or give away any amount of money if that would translate into more weapons for uh, for the enemy. Alrighty. So as, as we say in yeshiva, we hope that through the uh, the study of halachas that brings us to a point where we don't have to face these shilas. So hopefully, through our study of this uh, tonight, the forty five minutes tonight, they will figure out a way to uh, find the, all of the hostages get them, uh, like they did in Entebbe, uh, be able to secure their safety with minimal uh, injury and minimal life of loss on our side. And uh, we won't have to worry about whether or not we have to make a decision to negotiate uh, for them or not in the release of terrorists or anything like that. And that should be Thank you, Rabbi Staffel. Good Shabbos, everyone. Thank you. Bye, Bye, Bob. Good seeing you. Good to see you, too. Bye. Thank you. Take Good care, night. Good Shabbos. Stay safe. Good night. Thank you for coming.